Trading is one of the few professions in the world where you can put in 100% of your time and effort and still come out with nothing on the other side. And that's why I was very excited to sit down with Gregory Collier, who's had an amazing professional career in the investment industry, working at some of the biggest investment banks in the world, including Lehman Brothers and Citibank. He's also an author, a speaker, and now a full-time consultant where he supports these investment firms from an analytical point of view. In today's episode of Trader's Edge, we're sitting down with Greg to talk to him about his life story. How did he get started in this industry? What led to him developing a passion for finance at such a young age? And what steps did he take to find his own way in the investment industry, building out his own career, and going on to achieve success in an industry that is so cutthroat? So on today's episode of Trader's Edge, I have a very special guest with me, Mr. Greg Collier. How are you doing, Greg? Doing great. How about yourself? Greg, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks so much for taking a, you know, an hour out of your time here to come on and talk with me. Sure. My pleasure. Perfect. Greg, look, we'll hop right into it because you know, I don't want to waste any time here. You have a really interesting story. It seems like you've really managed to make it in the financial markets. And uh, you know, I really want to get a chance to, to delve into that. I think our viewers you know, will find it really interesting. You know, just to start off, why don't you tell us a bit about like, your, your upbringing? Uh, you know, I just want to hear a bit more about that. Sure, absolutely. I was born in West Virginia, Charleston, West Virginia, and shortly after I was born, my family moved to Brooklyn, New York. My father's from Queens, and my mother is from Brooklyn. So I lived there till I was three, and just a high cost of living. My father got an opportunity in Detroit, so that's what took us to Detroit. So I, I lived there till I was 14, and then we moved to a suburb called Farmington Hills. And graduated from high school, and then I went on to college at wow. Florida State University. Was the was the opportunity for your dad in the auto industry? Because I know that's yeah. you know big out there. No, it was actually with a company called Dansk, and they make uh, like glassware, things that people would buy on a wedding in a wedding registry. Oh, interesting. So D A N S K, I believe, is, is the spelling. So it was just an opportunity that relocated us from Brooklyn to uh, to Detroit and they, they were happy to go because uh, just much better cost of living relative to the New York tri-state area New York oh god <laughs> a power drive. yeah we thought that we have a bad here and then I looked at the prices of uh, housing and real estate in New York and it made me very grateful for where I am oh, yes 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 you should absolutely be grateful so I actually I had a look through you know your your website and everything prior to our call and I was sure absolutely astonished with the amount of education that you have um so you said that you started at fsu but you know i, I could see that you, you you've attended multiple places received many different designations yes uh, i'd love to know a bit about you know prior to getting into that i noticed that everything is finance related was your interest in finance how did you get into that what sparked that interest for you i got into finance because so many people destroy end up destroying their life or having a much worse quality of life because their lack of understanding of finance and my family is is an example much of that's included in, in my book where pretty much everyone did well financially but would spend every penny they made on things that really didn't matter for the most part and when an emergency happened you know it, it, it created a very problematic situation and that this was almost everyone in my family. So I made a decision early on 
that I was going to learn as much. When I say early on, I'm talking when I, by the time I started high school, I made a decision that I was going to learn as much about finance as I could, all aspects of finance, so that I can have a far better quality of life than many people I know, and particularly many family members. So that's how I got interested in finance, and I decided to major in fine, majored in finance and accounting at Florida State. Wow. Even my, my choice of going to Florida State was was strategic. I was I was going to go to Michigan State University, but my mother had moved to Florida and she qualified. She had moved to Florida. My parents were divorced. She moved to Florida my junior year in high school. So because she moved to Florida, I was able to get in-state tuition in Florida. Oh, and at that wow. time, as a in-state resident in Florida, it was less than half the cost of going to Michigan State as an in-state resident in in Michigan. So that's why I ended up going to Florida State. I wanted to go to college, be able to afford to go and just pay for it and not have to ever get student loans. So I went to college. I didn't have a fancy apartment or anything like that. I didn't have a car. And I ended up graduating with zero student loans. So that's whereas even today, there are people who I went to school with who they maxed out on student loans. They had nice apartments. They had fantastic cars, even with the low cost of, of being an in-state resident in Florida. They're still paying off student loans today, and I was fortunate never to ever have them. So that was a strategic financial decision for me. I wish I had that type of innovation when I was that age. <laughs> so that, you know, it, everything just built on finance. It, it, my plan was I was going to... Uh, graduate from college, then I was going to either go to law school or get an MBA. And in my particular case, when I graduated from college, I didn't have any money. And I decided, you know what, I want to work for a couple of years. If I'm going to work in finance, I did not want to work at some commercial bank in Florida or in the Southeast. The one place I, New York is a financial capital world. So that is where I decided to go. So, you know, to make a long story short, I Started working in New York. Uh, I can't say I fell in love with the work I was doing, but I loved what I was learning. Uh-huh. And that all of this was strategic, and much of this is in my book as well, The Janitor's Son. Uh, yeah. The Janitor's Son, The True Story of Hope, Shattered Dreams, and Winning Despite Adversity that I self-published in 2012. I ended up uh, going to New York and without a job, and I initially lived with family my uncle my uncle lives in new york i still have a lot of family in new york wow and i ended up getting a customer service job with a bank i don't know if they're still around but first chicago I ended up getting a customer service job with, with first chicago? chicago where i was going to just i'd be answering the phone and handling basic banking queries and uh there was a a lag between the time i was supposed to start that job and when it was offered. So I ended up mm -hmm. getting an opportunity via a temp agency, which there's a ton of them in New York. Okay. And lo and behold, I walked in the very first day at that time it was manufacturer, manufacturers handover trust company at 270 Park Avenue. Okay. So ultimately through a bunch of mergers, it through a merger, it became chemical bank. Yes. Uh, and the, the CEO of manufacturers handover, John McKillagutty became the CEO of chemical bank. And then, ultimately is part of the J.P. Morgan Chase entity that exists today. 
wow. make a long story short, I walked in on the first day in a low-paid for New York temp job where I was going to be a filing clerk for just two weeks. Mm-hmm. And it was on a trading floor. It was on an emerging market fixed income trading floor in the early 1990s. Wow, you must have and looked around and been like, what just I was, happened? <laughs> I was in complete shock, but I, I did the job that I was supposed to do. I, I was a pretty good filer. And my boss was shocked to find out I had a college degree because it was, it was something that didn't require a college degree. They just wanted somebody to file yeah. documentation all day. So he started giving me some additional tasks within the first week. And then he asked me if I'd be interested in staying on. And I, even though the job at First Chicago paid more, I saw that I was going to learn so many things. I would mm-hmm. have the opportunity to learn so much that I ended up staying and take staying at uh, Manufacturers Handover Trust Company. And uh, the rest is history. And that's when I, I first got interested in that was my first exposure to trading. That's when I got interested in trading. Was was trading even on your radar prior to having that job? No, not at all. I just wanted to learn as much as I could about finance. I didn't even really know that trading, that one could have a career trading. And this was prior to when there were very many day traders because the internet was just, it was mm-hmm. early 1990s. So no one had a computer. Wow. No one had email. We just dealt with a lot of paper at that time. So all of these discount brokers that exist today, none of them were none of them were even around back then for the most part. Uh, I know Schwab existed, but yeah, uh, you could we're not just today. you would have to pick up a phone and call a broker to actually do a transaction. But that's where I started to see started to see that I had some possibilities and the big break. Actually, after getting there and being there a short time, I was hired as a permanent staff member and given a nice jump in pay, giving greater duties. And uh, for the most part, the people who trade, this was a uh, emerging market fixed income trading desk. They're trading in increments, smallest increments, about a million dollars per transaction. Wow. Uh, Most of those people had MBAs from Harvard, Stanford, Yale, uh, you know, top schools. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was able to learn a lot, but the likelihood of me being able to become an institutional trader was very minimal but either way i tried to soak up as much knowledge as i could and that's one of the things that a lot of younger people today when they start their career they're more interested in how much money they're making they're mm-hmm. not really thinking about where it's going to lead and the breakthrough that caused me to become a that caused me to think deeper about ultimately becoming a, a trader with my own capital on my own account yeah this chemical bank sent me to the, the, the merger took place like my first year at Chemical Bank. Oh man, you must have been busy. Over in Chemical Bank, so it's definitely busy. Um, Chemical Bank sent me to London to uh, take place of a uh, vacationing trading trader's assistant on a trading okay. floor there. And my mother, who was a real estate broker in South Florida, demanded that I reach out to one of her clients, a British national who she had sold a house to. And mm-hmm. so I reached out to him. I ended up meeting him at his flat in London. And it just so happened that this guy had been, he was a retired institutional foreign exchange trader. Wow. And he still worked, but he worked from home, trading on his own account with his own capital, trading FX. He had a couple of computers set up. 
So we had, at that point in time, this was the mid 1990s. We had trans, we had transitioned from the point where uh, people went from not having computers to having computers. Okay. The internet was starting to become robust, and where you started to have online brokers where people could actually do transactions online. So that's that's where we happen to be. So you were in you were in England and you you got connected with um, someone that you you had a mutual connection with who who was actually yeah. a I guess semi-retired institutional trader. And 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 how did that experience that's go? Correct. Like were, how long were you in England first of all? I was only there for 2 weeks. 2 weeks. So Yeah. You but know, it was you mentioned this. Just seeing what the seeing what the gentleman did caused me to think, hey, wow, the internet is becoming more robust. I could do the same thing this guy is doing. I could yeah, have no you sort ball. of saw the opportunity. I could sit at home and I could trade on my own account with my own capital. If I'm successful and I'm able to be profitable, then I that's what I can do. And so, so at that point in time, I I made the decision that at some point I was going to just trade on my own account with my own capital. But my decision was that I was going to work, continue working in corporate America because things were going pretty good. Mm -hmm. I was going to be careful with my finances. I was going to live significantly below my means and build up as much capital as I could via investing for the long term, what have you. And I planned on retiring from corporate America by the time I turned... 53 and I'm not 53 yet. Uh, and then fast forward through the years, I, I, while I was, was working, ended up mm -hmm. getting my MBA in finance. I did some other training along the way and had some other jobs mm -hmm. at other companies. But yeah, I, I see here. You actually, you, you went to Oxford for a while. I did complete a program at Oxford. I completed the private equity program at Oxford. It's about a one week program i do do i do dabble in private equity mm -hmm. a little bit i do some recruiting for some some firms who seek high net worth individuals so over the course of my career uh working in new york city i was fortunate enough to come in contact with a, quite a few high net worth individuals and uh periodically i will get pitched various deals with where they're seeking to create a private equity portfolio for a particular set of investments and end up seeking funds generally between 250,000 and 2 million per person, depending on, mm -hmm. on the structure. And then basically whatever I bring in, I get a percent of that for the life of the portfolio. Oh, so that, wow. That is actually quite lucrative. How uh, did you end up getting time. into that? I ended up getting in. I ended up getting into that because out of the blue one day, I, I got a call from someone I used to work with who was then working at a private equity firm, trying to find out if I had anybody who would be interested in investing in a in a particular in a particular fund, and that's how I got into it. It was simply a, a relationship that I had built over time. And I guess if so you're I coming up, from if you're coming from up, sort of corporate America, you uh you probably had a lot of these connections already. Yes, yes. So that's that's how I actually got into that, and that's something I do on the side of of trading. I generally uh, I don't seek out anyone unless I'm called and asked to look at a particular deal. 
And you get a percentage of, of their contribution for the lifetime of the portfolio. That's correct. That sounds like the dream. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's a nice it's nice it's nice extra pocket money. So Definitely works out, works out fairly well for me. That's that's amazing. Um, and I, so, I you know just to touch on this here, I, I see that you actually run a consulting firm as well. Is this what you're talking about with the consulting? I do that. I do that through Collier Capital Advisors, and initially I had set that up uh, for the possibility of being a financial advisor and getting assets under management. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I use, I don't use the entity for that. I use it for the purpose of, of recruiting private equity, uh, providing some, some uh, research to private individuals yeah. who might want to me to do some analytics. I'll get calls on certain projects from people and they'll, they'll, they'll want my opinion on them. So I'll, I'll, dig in and I'll, I'll see what I can do for a fee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's what I do with Collier Capital Advisors. Interesting. You know, I, you know, for someone who's been in the industry so long, I can't imagine the amount of drastic change you've seen over the years in like, you know, how retail traders operate, what's happened in the institutional side of things, how that's evolved. Um, what do you think has been the most significant change in the last, you know, decade or, or five years even uh, within the world of trading? Well, it's the technology. It's the technology because now anyone can have a pretty robust trading platform that's completely free, basically by just having a a brokerage account. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, twenty years ago, that was not the case. Fifteen years ago, it, it, the cost of trading was a lot more, and now we've we've even migrated to the point where. Uh, commission-free is very, very common. And commissions, mm-hmm. as you know, eat up a lot of profitability. Yeah, completely destroys the edge for a lot of strategies. So, I mean, there's, there's a trade-off with the free commissions now in that uh, far too many people have brokerage accounts and work around prices not uh, being quite as good, a larger bid-ask spread, what have you, and maybe mm-hmm. slower, slightly slower executions. Uh, it still works out to your to your advantage, but you got to kind of work through some of the kinks, and hopefully things will get better. I know there's been some lags with various brokers because of that and because of the high extra volume, because of more people having accounts than ever before because of the free. Mm-hmm. And uh, free it's, it's really changed a lot of things as well. Um, but you know, I, I'm actually I'm based in Canada, right? So we're we're a little bit behind you in terms of free commissions. The best we uh, have is we use uh, interactive brokers, and we okay. get a uh, one dollar commissions. Ah, well, yeah, oh, yeah, still better than nine ninety nine. Yeah, exactly. Right. Or, well, or, we, or you more. Know, it's crazy. We uh, some of if you go with any of the big banks. So interactive brokers is pretty much like the biggest discount brokerage. But if you were to go with you know TD America, uh, you know TD or anyone of that nature, I believe TD like Thinkorswim is uh, four ninety nine a trade. And then if you go with like CIBC, it's like seven ninety nine a trade. Okay. So wow. we still have that in Canada. The, okay. We, no one's been able to enter our market with free commissions, probably because of the size of our population. It doesn't make it worthwhile. Um, okay. But yeah, we're we're yet to have that. So uh, still waiting. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully they add that add that for you. I do I, I do communicate with people from Canada periodically, and I know that some of the platform issues with lags and data and bad executions are still people in Canada are actually feeling that as well. Mm. So it's, there's 
So hopefully you guys get at least free commissions if you're still going to have mm. to deal with some execution. So, so Greg, uh, w- what assets do you like to trade? I, tr- I, uh, I, I primarily trade options mm-hmm. and I have used multiple strategies over the course of time. I kind of found something that, that I really like. I mostly trade, uh, Options on technology stocks, and Apple is the stock that I trade the most. I trade Apple almost every single day. Wow. Um, the reason I trade Apple almost every single day is just over the course of time watching it. Number one, it's highly liquid, and the options are highly liquid. The spreads yes. on the options are fairly tight, so I can pretty much get in and out with whether it's a small size transaction or a larger size transaction. When I say larger size, 100 contracts or more is mm-hmm. what I'm considering. Oh, wow. A larger size. And it, it allows me to get in and out pretty much at will. And that's one of the reasons why I like Apple. And it's, it's as far as stocks go, it's as predictable as, as any stock I've ever seen. So that's part of why I trade Apple. Mainly options. Take, yeah, mainly, mainly options. I, I've very recently started to uh, trade futures, uh, did some intensive training in futures uh, years ago, and I just never, ever traded them. Uh, but last week was the first time I had traded futures in years, and I traded futures almost every day last week. And <laughs> I did a little last night, this morning, and a little tiny bit today. I didn't do much trading today just because of the high level of volatility and being mm-hmm. extra careful around this time. What are the major metrics that you look at when trading options? Do you, are, are you someone who's volatility-oriented? Are you using them for directional bets? When I'm swing trading, I am I am looking at things like volatility. When I'm scalping, because I, I which is very dangerous, I yeah. scalp options in the short time. I'm not really looking at volatility. I'm really mostly looking at the the movement of the underlying stock and how fast it's moving. And mm-hmm. if it's moving fairly quickly, I will potentially jump in. I'll buy at the money call option if it's moving up fairly quickly. I'll jump in and potentially buy at the money or one strike in the money call options and try to get anywhere between a 10 and 20% gain. But strategy, the, the main strategies I use is I gap trade in the morning. And mm. just the, there's a couple of different variations of it. How I gap trade is say Apple closes at a particular price on a, uh, Today's Tuesday. Say close at a particular price on a Tuesday, and uh, it opens at a lower price on Wednesday. I will generally wait until after the first one-minute candle, and if the second one-minute candle opens above the first one-minute candle, I will buy. And, and the market is generally rising. I'll buy at the money call options on Apple or one strike at price out of the money call options on Apple expecting for the gap to either fill or partially fill and by that I mean the price where where it opened on Wednesday which is below the price where it closed on Tuesday I'm expecting the, the price to rise and try to meet or meet the closing price on Tuesday so that's one of the strategies yeah that, that I am employ and I'm, I'm Oftentimes, I'm so successful at that strategy that I stop trading for the day. I'm done by 10 a.m. I try to, to do most of my trading 
mm-hmm. in the morning. But if I meet a certain profit threshold, I generally stop and just protect my profits. And I don't trade again unless I see something that I think is absolutely a can't miss situation. And then when I do transact in those cases, I use smaller size. Yeah. And the reason I do that is I've had dozens of instances where I've been up, say, a good amount of money in the morning just to give it all back in the afternoon or <laughs> half of it back in the afternoon. And, and I, I, I've had, I had a day where I was up $13,000 by 10 a.m. That was one of my better days, uh, which I made it every day, but I don't. Um, yeah. And I ended up finishing that day negative about negative $5,000. Oh, Jesus. And that's because I was like, wow, I've got $13,000 in my hand. I'm going to stretch this to 20. Yeah. (laughs) And then trade after trade after trade. After that, just a series of blunders. Next thing you know, I'm like, okay, let me do one more trade to get me back to 13,000. Nope. Negative 5,000. So since then, you know, uh, and and a few other issues that I, problems I've had, I generally, if I'm profitable by a certain amount uh, at by 10 or 11 a.m., I just stop trading for the day and I enjoy my day. I go get, go, uh, I live in Florida. So the weather's generally nice. I try to get outside yeah. and have some fun or, you know, study something, read something, but I, I have to turn my computers off. Cause if I keep watching them, I'll see something that, I'll yeah, something that intrigues me and, 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 and I'll jump in. So I wanted to ask you because, you know, sure. not many people get the opportunity or, or people that will be listening to this podcast will have had the opportunity to have worked in both, you know, an institutional setting and in a retail setting where they've, you know, worked, you know, trading other people's money and also worked in a situation where they're trading their own capital. So, you know, I wanted to ask you about what the major differences you see between those two two sort of facets of trading, Um, you know, because I assume having the opportunity to work in a big firm, you've had access to like, you know, large data sources, large data pools, you know, um, quantitative analysts that can help you build models, you know, all of this type of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, um, our, our background is, so predicting alpha's background is, you know, we work in that space. So we, we basically are in the process of building out our predicting alpha terminal, which is for an options trading. And what we do is we basically take all the data that options traders look at and we visualize it and present it in the form of like a mini terminal. Okay. So, you know, I, I just, because, you know, not many people have got to seen this side of things where, whereas you, you have had the, the opportunity to do so. What do you see as the major differences there? And, and why do you think that's the case? Well, one of the major differences is you're obviously uh, at an institution, you're dealing with more capital. Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with more capital, your trading strategy has to be different. One of the reasons the trading has strategy has to be different. So say, for instance, uh, I, tr- I decided to do a uh, extremely large option trade. I'm not going to get the necessarily the best pricing if I do more than 100 contracts, say, on Apple. If I try to go in, say, three or 400 contracts, my pricing is generally not going to be as good, so I need to phase in. So mm-hmm. institutions, they have to phase in, and they're, they're also they're, they're dealing with with uh, dark pool situations to help, you know, kind of mask their ability to to get 
worse pricing. So that's one of the one of the major major differences. Uh, and even dealing with with say a, a dark pool, a super large order can can influence mm-hmm. the market. But with the capital I'm using, there's no capital that I that I currently have that is going to cause Apple to rise two percent yeah. or go down two percent. We're unfortunately I'm not, I'm not, not at that market. level. I'm not <laughs> not that yet. level yet. So that that is 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 a major difference. Uh, another another major difference is uh, at an institution they they have certain objectives. Uh, obviously that individual traders must meet uh there's a different type of pressure when you're trading with someone else's money i'm not saying there's no pressure but there's a different type of pressure when you're trading with someone else's money than it is if you're trading with your money if you're trading with someone else's money and you, you make a grave error uh ultimately yeah it could lead being dismissed mm-hmm. from from an opportunity but if, if one thing i tell retail traders the more money you have, the easier it is to trade. By that I mean, if you have, if someone decides they want to trade on their own account with their own capital, they want to quit their job, they want to walk away, if they have enough money that they can live without making any money, then it's much easier to trade. So yeah. I have to make a certain amount in the next three weeks to pay my mortgage on April 1st. And I have a bad day or two, and now I'm like, okay, I might come short. Then you up your risk and don't necessarily think as clearly. And that is is, is one of the bigger differences between institutions, institutional trading and retail mm-hmm. trading. An institutional trader can generally think clearly most of the time, despite dealing with the high level of volatility. He's obviously going to get compensated in terms of a bonus the better mm-hmm. he performs, but it's a different type of pressure. The biggest pressure is if you really need the yeah. money and you just will not think as clearly. And, and, you know, and, I, I and exa- can... a quick example. Yes. Uh, there are a lot of guys who offer trading services, uh, alert services, uh, mm-hmm. chat rooms where they'll give trading advice some of these guys make it are making so much money from these their chat rooms and their alert services that they don't need any any money to trade they don't need to make any money trading they're making so much money in on the chat room so when they do trade they're able to sit back relax knowing that they have a ton of money coming in regardless they're able to isolate certain certain trades and execute them extremely well because the pressure is just not there mm-hmm. to earn an income. What are what are your thoughts on that? Actually, um, you know, I you've been on Instagram for quite a while. You know, you you built a nice little following for yourself, and you you've done so just giving out a lot of great free information. Um, what? Do, yeah, no, I, I I'm really impressed with it. Actually, uh, it's one of the reasons why I, I was very happy to have you on the podcast. Um, but you know, I'm obviously happy, you, you've seen uh, yeah you've you've seen sort of some of the side of the retail education space. 
right. uh, you know, with everything going on on Instagram, you know, with these mentorships, with chat rooms, with everything of that nature. What's your view on how, on the direction that retail trading's headed? Um, for it, against it, think there's room for change. Just what's well, your there's, opinion there's, on all this? There's definitely room for change, and one of the reasons why I started get, providing free advice. I do not have a a trading service. I do not uh, have a chat room. I do not sell training classes. One of the reasons why I started giving free advice was because I see so many people who they're paying a uh, they're taking a thousand dollar class or a five hundred dollar class thinking that that's going to teach them how to trade and then they find out that they've gone through this class and they still can't trade. I see a lot of people paying 30 a month for a particular chat room that gives them alerts throughout the day and then all they're doing is losing money doing these trades. And a lot of the guys who are running these, you can't trade their way out of a paper bag. They're just out of a wet paper bag. They just, they can't trade. They really don't know what they're doing, but they've made it look good I agree. And I, I, I saw someone um, uh, with a Robinhood account. They're, they're creating charts on, on Robinhood. Not to knock Robinhood. I know that they were the first to start off a free commission. But it's not a real, it's not a good trading platform. Yeah, it does, you, you, you're much trading. better off with it's, like TD Ameritrade or uh, right. even they've been in some hot water recently. With Robinhood, it's better to just, if you're going to buy and hold and add to it sell very infrequently uh but i've seen you know people trying to sell alert services who have a robin robin hood account and they're posting on their instagram page the 40 dollar profits on a, on a particular yeah, transaction like, what the heck is going and I'm on like here? listen that is uh so that's why that's part of why i started giving free advice just to kind of help people let people know that hey trading is not easy it's extremely difficult uh, anyone who says it's easy trading in the short term, anyone who says it's easy, is either lying or they don't know what they're talking about. Exactly. Uh, and that's like really why I, I one of the main reasons I started showing my wins, uh, showing how I did certain things, and provide free advice. Now there are some people out there who actually do give their their alert services actually are good, their training classes mm -hmm. actually are good. But even if one takes a detailed training class, uh, you, you, you will never, ever actually be able to trade mm. unless you actually practice trading in a live environment with real money. Because the most difficult part is the psychological aspect of seeing yourself lose money or potentially lose money and how you handle handle that so i try to talk you know, a lot about that and the just the alert services it's something that should actually be re be regulated mm -hmm. in my opinion because there's just so many of them uh if you, if you if you go through instagram alone you'll find thousands of them you go to stock twits you'll, you'll find thousands more and it's it's that's pretty much out of hand and just unsuspecting people uh Find themselves just really in, in, in if you want to make money, you sell people hopes and dreams. Mm -hmm. They don't have to have any, any, it doesn't have to have anything behind it uh, that, that actually works. But if you sell them hopes and dreams, yeah, it's, what, I don't know if it's that's the, what people want. I don't know if that would pass the mirror test for most people, but I, I know exactly what you mean. 
but you know, I, I speaking of the psychology, um, you know, pr- prior to us building out this predicting alpha terminal, our, our, our previous business model was um, we used to basically just take proven profitable strategies and using our quantitative background, we would actually just build models for executing on them. So it's like you wanted to follow, uh, you know, a value investing strategy. You want to follow a dividend strategy. You want to follow, you know, George Soros, uh, you know, Forex strategy. Here's a model that actually takes all of his variables into consideration and outputs best and worst trades for long and short positions. Um, but what we sort of came to, you know, uh, one of our one of our mentors, uh, he, he's a, a fund manager, and he said to us, you know, you can give everyone the proven profitable strategies you can give someone the best strategy in the world and they'll the average person will still lose money because they're going to get in at the wrong time and they're going to get out at the wrong time because at the end of the day if you don't have the emotions in check if you can't check the emotions at the door when you walk onto the trading floor you're you're in for a rough ride yes i agree 100 percent yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, and you know, with regards to the um the signal groups, I, I wanted your opinion on this statement. Um, you know, what one of the things that we we sort of talk about to, with, with with our 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 viewers is that you know the best traders in the world, the ones that are really profitable, you know, realistically they can't see the future either, right? But what they do have is they have better intuition, they have better resources and better tools. So they are the people who have, you know, the market experience to understand what to look for. They are the ones who have the access to the data and the information to apply to what they're looking at, to, to make sense of it, to, to quantify or, or really look into what their edge is, you know, find mispricings, et cetera. And they're the ones who have the tools to bring this all together. You know, they're, they're not, they don't have a magic eight ball or a crystal ball. You know, you don't need signals. What you need is I, I training agree. tools. I agree 100%. I mean, I have... I, some of the uh, screenshots that I post on Instagram, people will send me direct messages asking me if I bought when the arrow points up or if I sold when the arrow points down. And I, I, I always tell them no, because if, if, I were, if I did that, I would lose money. Uh, I, I, I use other, other methods, but it's... Uh, Trading in the short term is is not easy. There's definitely uh, mm-hmm. the resources, the tools, and and the intuition are uh, what a lot of people are lacking. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you know the, the the tough part that a lot of people forget. And um, you know you, you're 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 lucky in the sense you you come from an actual professional background in trading, so you have a lot of this, you know, just built into you. I'm sure. But you know, a lot of people come into trading with the idea that they can just follow something and it'll work, and they 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 forget the amount of time and effort that really goes in to making it happen. Right. You know. Um, uh, yeah, I agree. I agree one hundred percent. And even even with all of my experience, uh, I was expecting some things when I first started to work, and they did. Yeah. But then the reason they did. The reason they did well, there's a few reasons why they didn't work. Uh, what, one of the major problems I had when I first started is I used too many strategies. I made things more complex than they should have been. Mm. And once I simplified things, I went down to a 
couple of strategies only, that's when things got more clear to me. Because I, I would be looking at the one-minute chart, the five-minute chart, the 15-minute chart. I'd be looking at MACD. I'd be looking at, you know, at, at uh, an advanced uh, declining indicator. Uh, I'd be looking at all kinds of different things at the same time. And uh, it just created too much noise. Mm-hmm. So in, in my opinion, for me, and it works different for different different traders. The simpler, the better. And no, I, you you can even add to the fact that you know, I hear a lot of traders say that you have to find the strategy that will fit your personality. I, I don't necessarily agree that it's your personality, but one has to find the, the strategy or strategies mm-hmm. that just work best for them. Uh, a trader who I follow is, is John Carter of Simpler Trading. Okay. He likes to trade vertical spreads. Mm-hmm. I I don't like vertical spreads. I trade them periodically, once in a while, but it's very it's, it's very rare that I that I do them. But he is he trades vertical spreads all day long, and uh, it's just something that I don't particularly care for. And then others who who love it. Uh, there's a lot of you know traders who like to sell call options naked i don't you know i don't that's not mm-hmm. me I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know I'm, i actually I, I agree with you on that front where things there, there's a lot of people who overcomplicate things what do you think was your biggest misconception when you were trading once you began like full-time trading your own capital my biggest misconception was that i thought it was going to be a lot easier than it actually was and part of that was all of my training, all of my uh, all of my uh, work experience, working uh, in the capital markets in New York City. I just thought I was going to be able to start trading immediately, be profitable on day one, and never ever have any issues, particularly uh, managing my emotions. And I found out, I found out immediately that you know. I'm going to have trouble. So my first, my first official trade, my first official uh, day trade, I initially started off trading stocks. It was a year or two later where I started to trade options. I, I knew options well, but I just didn't trade them at the time. My first trade uh, was a stock. I made over 100% uh, holding it over a weekend. I bought it on a Friday, held it, and Monday, midday, I had over 100% gain, and and it was actually a company I used to work for. I used to work for Citigroup. Uh, I ended up, uh, Citigroup had uh, had plummeted below $5, and it went below $4 on a Friday. And I said, you know what, I'm going to buy it. Somebody's going to come in, and they're going to they're gonna work out some type of deal and save Citigroup over the weekend before Citigroup goes completely bust. Wow. So I bought it, and over 100% gain that, mon- that like Monday. Wow, I guess that's time to, to break up the that's good how, And that's when I decided, okay, now I'm going to do this full time. I'm recovering from a surgery. Uh, I had like a hernia. I was recovering from that. And I said, you know, that's it. I am I'm doing this full time starting now. I'm not waiting until I'm in my 50s. Now is the time to do it. And uh, I continue to have some, some good success uh, because... 
price swings were so wide at that time. This was I started officially in 2008. Oh wow! Price swings right, yeah, around two, 2008-ish. Um, right at the bottom, of, or right at the start of the crash, I suppose. Right. So, it, so it, it uh, I had some success that was really based on the fact that the volatility that that we were having gigantic bounces off of lows. And I was catching those bounces. I really wasn't shorting anything at that time. I was catching big bounces. Mm-hmm. And then once things got more normal, that's when I, I started to encounter some some issues, and I ultimately was able to work work them out. So for the most part, I, I was able to be profitable. Wow. So to this day, if you if you don't mind me asking, sure. Um, overall, it's been profitable for you. Yes. That's fantastic. So obviously, at this point, you've been you've been trading at least for about ten years. Your own capital, yes. Um, which is, you know, a, a lot of time, more than than I think most of, of our viewers will be doing it. You know, a, a lot of the people that that on a daily basis are, are listening to what we do are maybe in their second or third year of trading their own capital, and you know, having having time to see market changes and to to go through the highs and the lows. What would you say is your number one piece of advice? For someone who's earlier in their trading career, or perhaps even someone later on, what would you, what if you could tell every trader one thing? What would it be? If they want to, if if, if educate themselves as much as possible, there's really more than one thing I have to tell them. But to educate themselves as much as possible, and not you hear the statistic all the time that 90% or more of all traders fail. It's probably mm-hmm. more than that. It's probably 95% or more, maybe even 99%. They fail because of a lack of education. And the biggest factor as part of that education is the ability to, to manage their emotions. What, what do you think it takes to manage your emotions well? Because I know from an institutional perspective, right? I, I watched a, uh, a, a an interview with uh, Kenneth Griffin, who is the CEO of Citadel. Yes. And I watched this interview with him and he was telling us that, you know, at, at this high frequency level where they're, they're doing high frequency trading, he said that their, their best traders, uh, their best portfolio managers get it right 52% of the time. And the question for him was how on earth do you sleep at night when you're managing a billion dollars and walking such a fine line between success and failure? And his response was basically, it came down to risk management and it came down to having tools that gave them a reasonable understanding of what to expect in the future. So he was he was coming from a more like mathy kind of approach, but what they were looking at was like uh, it's sort of think of it like, like they were looking at it like a casino, right? So where right. they they were able to find strategies where they had a slight edge in the market, so they actually could quantify that they had like a fifty three percent fifty two percent chance of winning, and then they would just manage their risk and place as many bets as possible. Right to see that edge kind of play out over time. And he said that the only way they were able to do it was thanks to the evolution of technology. The fact that they can now use computer power to sort of support them in this, you know, this direction they're heading. Um, But, you know, obviously the average trader doesn't have access to all this type of technology, but what do you think it really takes to manage your emotions? How, how are we supposed to do that? Um, Because everyone talks about it, but not everyone does it. Yeah, it, 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 it's actually extremely hard. And I actually find myself at times uh, doing things I should not do because of my emotions. As an example, just seeing seeing a price 
surge higher and then just mm-hmm. jumping in thinking it's going to keep going higher. Oh yeah. Uh, for me, and it's different for different people, but the, 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 to manage my emotions and try to keep my emotions out of the process. I have a trading plan that I, I create a trading plan every single day. Uh, it's always written down. It's very brief. It's not it's, it's super, it's not so much that I can't just look at it and, and understand it clearly. But when I'm doing op- scalps on options, my target is a 10% gain per transaction. If it keeps running, I try to stretch it to 20%. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's losing, I try to cut it by a 10% loss no matter what. So is that of your portfolio if, or of what was allocated for the day? This is this is of what I've allocated to a particular trade, to an okay. individual trade. Yes, as far as uh, as far as uh, my trading capital, uh, I have a rule that I cannot lose five percent in one day, and the reason that's my rule is real simple. It, that's my rule because uh, market makers. If a market maker loses more than five percent in one day, he's automatically fired from. He's fired. You know, yeah, he's gone. He's, They've squeezed, no, he's gone. You, so I implemented the rule. I cannot lose more than 5% uh, of my capital in one mm-hmm. day. And it's very rare that I actually ever even do a transaction that's even up to 10% of my capital. Uh, that's generally mm-hmm. about the most that I, I, I would I would allocate to a trade. So that would give me the leeway to lose 50%. I'm not going to try never, ever, never, ever do that. But to manage the emotions, I just I have to religiously religiously stick to my plan. So if I do go down ten percent on a on a uh, near expiration at the money or one strike price out of the money mm-hmm. call option, I have to cut. And a lot of times I'm not able to to close out that trade until I'm already down twenty percent. Prices oh, might be moving so fast, and then I just have to live with it. And, you know, it, it, but if I stick with that and I can just be right 50 to 60 percent of the time and I let a few winners run where, where I'm able to get the 20 percent or 30 percent gain, I'm profitable right there. That puts me into profit profitability. So that's why I have those rules in place. And when I when I do when I have had big losses, meaning I lose. 30%, 40% or more of a, on a particular transaction, yeah. it's because I don't follow my trading plans, because I just make the decision, you know what, I'm down 10%, I'm going to hold, we're right at a resistance, we're about to hit a resistance level, it's going to bounce, that's when I that's when I run into problems. So, mm-hmm. education, you keep running down having a trading it, plan, maybe it bounces, maybe it doesn't. Sticking to it. Right, sticking to it, and yeah. not uh, just hoping mm-hmm. to win. Um, you got to put yourself in this. Yeah, in I agree. I feel like... probability to win, and by having a plan of sticking to a specific loss level to keep those losses small, that helps traders win as traders. It helps you just stay in. I had, I had a friend who called me. He had. He had about a twenty-five thousand dollar account, and he had yeah. 
it's split among like five different tech names. And he was down 50% when he called me. He said, Greg, what do I do? I said, sell everything right now. I looked at what he had. I said, dude, those are going down further. You're going to lose 100%. I said, sell everything right now. At least you have that 50%. You can live the trade another day, or at least you have that 50% of your, your that trading account available. Yeah. Don't he try and catch sell. a falling knife. He did not sell. He lost 100% of that. Oh, Jesus. Um, he, you know, he, he was able to uh, continue living life. That's not, you know, it's not yeah, going to yeah, destroy that everyone. everyone. But, you know, he, he lost... Uh, Money he did not need to lose, and that's because mm-hmm. he did not have a trading plan. He did not have a risk management plan in place, and he let a loss run. And most traders, including myself, have let losses run too far. Uh, but if I can impart any any wisdom, uh, don't let the losses run. You hit a certain level, you got to cut it. Even if yeah. you know, that even if you did a large transaction and you're down twenty percent, you're like, man, I bite the bullet. More than I want to lose, just go ahead and lose it. Uh, I, I, I had situation. I had a situation where I had a I did really bad, and I lost. Uh, well, I'll say what I lost. I lost twenty two thousand dollars in one day. And I was, man, I was furious. Yeah, over traded, over traded. I emotionally traded, over traded. Losing two thousand dollars here, two thousand dollars there, two thousand dollars here, two thousand dollars there, and then I was like, okay, I'm gonna make it all up in one or two trades. Oh no! And so I didn't make it up in one or two trades. So over the course of maybe the next week, I lost another seventeen thousand dollars. So now I'm sitting. So you were down forty grand almost. This is like. A short period of time to be down this much money. So initially, what I did was I wrote a plan. I said, "Okay, I'm gonna make try to make five percent back a day. Five percent of that back a day until I've made it all back." And what I ended up doing is I ended up just ripping that plan up. I'm not gonna focus on five percent a day. I'm not gonna focus on just making back that money. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to focus on trading well, and if I trade well, I will make that back. I'll make that back and more, and then I'll just I'll look back and think about how stupid I was to eat a big loss, and then follow it up by trading poorly and making the, lo- making the loss even bigger. So what I did was I inched along, and I, I, I cut my size down uh, uh to, to much smaller than what I what I normally trade, and I just made sure I traded well, and it probably within a few within a few weeks I had actually made up all of that. Wow, I made it made it all up within about three weeks. Yeah, that that's why that was probably a trading well versus trading versus plan. taking more risk and trying to get trying to have trying to do some some uh, and chasing the loss trades that are gonna give me 50 percent gains in three hours uh, no I just I just played played every I, I I implemented greater risk management going forward 
and I was more selective on the trades I did. I was more patient, and that was uh, I, I wouldn't say that that was it, it wasn't a turning point, but it was it was a uh, well, technically it was a turning point. It was a turning point in that I was never ever going to, and hopefully I never end up doing it again. Emotionally trade where I'm doing trades that I should not do, eating loss after loss after loss. So I've got it down to the point where I actually try to do as few trades a day as possible. If I can do two trades or three trades and be done, that's it. It's my perfect day. If I can do one trade and be done, it's my perfect day. And I set a limit. If I, yeah. if I have a certain level of profitability, by 10 or 11 a.m., I have to stop trading for the day. And that, that has saved me from getting caught in midday chop. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I have two quick, two last things I wanted to ask you here. Sure. Um, one was, you know, this has been a really interesting year so far for trading. You know, at the time of this podcast, it's 2020, March 2020, yeah. going through, a, you know, we had we had halts put in place yesterday. Um, it was insane what's going on right now. Um, so I wanted to ask you this. This doesn't have to be just trading related because, you know, uh, looking at your website, I see you also do speaking events. You've written a book. You've done a lot of different things related to finance. What are your goals for the next 12 months? Do you have anything planned? In terms of, of uh, finance, trading? Here. Well, I have I actually have another book that, that I've been wanting to finish. And this is actually the book on finance. So I'd like to complete that in the uh, by the end of 2020. That's one thing I have planned. It's not going to be a super long book, but it's going to be a book that's going to help uh, new and experienced traders alike uh, with a couple of the strategies that I that I that I employ that tend to work for me mm. most of the time. And so that's one of the things that that I have planned. And in terms of uh, trading, uh, my personal trading, I just I just uh, intend on continuing to trade well. I have a particular uh, daily goal I try to achieve. Uh, sometimes I make it, sometimes I don't. If I don't make it, I don't beat myself up. Mm-hmm. If I do make it, I don't uh, let my ego get too big that I've achieved a certain yeah. uh, level of success on an individual day. And uh, as long as I manage, as long as I focus on not letting losses get too big and I am patient, I will successful amazing um with with what you shared there you actually nailed both my questions right there so uh, i wanted to ask you about a next book um but greg i i, I want to thank you for your time here you know uh we hit just about an hour here my uh, pleasure, Sean. I, I learned a lot i really appreciate this call oh my pleasure